Today's scripture is from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of the joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to, the man, er, so he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God of grace and God of glory, God of justice and righteousness and love, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being with us always, wherever we are. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Help us, Lord, to know how to live that out with one another. May the words of our mouths this day, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our shepherd, our refuge, our savior, our redeemer in every way. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. As all God's people together say, Amen. Well, fall sports are upon us, which means that old rivalries come to life again. Rivals are those people and groups that we love to hate. Rivals are those people and groups that we love to tackle, and when we do, we get to crow about it a little bit. So have some fun with me. Help me name some of those rivals. If I said New York Yankees, you'd say... (laughs) That's awesome. If I said Cleveland Browns, you'd say... There's a good Ohio corner over there. If I said UNC, you'd say UVA, 
Yeah, if I said, oh, the Dallas Cowboys, you'd say, oh. <laughs> Army. Yeah, somebody in the early service said, Air Force, <laughs> quietly from the back. <laughs> and if I said, Jacob, you would say, Esau, his brother. The last rivalry brings us to our story today and a passage that Bryson read so well for us as we continue our sermon series called Stronger, looking at problems of division in the culture and what scripture has to say about that. Let me give you some background for our story this morning. Like some of those football teams we named, players like Jacob and Esau were rivals before they were born. They were twins who began wrestling in the womb and came out fighting, grasping at each other. It's a long story that's seven chapters in before we even get to what we read today. So what has already happened? Esau was born slightly ahead of Jacob, which in that ancient culture means he gets certain firstborn privileges. And Jacob manages by deception to steal all of them. Jacob steals first his brother's birthright, and then he steals his brother's blessing, all by deception and trickery and cheating. By the time Esau figures out what has happened, he's furious. He says he's going to kill his brother Jacob, so Jacob runs away for his life. And the two men build lives in different places. Jacob amasses a big family and many, many uh, herds of livestock. He's a wealthy man and continues his practice in life of scheming and tricking and cheating. This time, though, he's cheating his father-in-law, who's the father of two of his wives. That's another story. But things get so bad that Esau has to run, Jacob has to run for his life again. This time he escapes with his large family and all the herds. Jacob decides to go home. But going home is a problem. And because going home means he will have to face his brother Esau. So Jacob sends messengers ahead to find out what things are like, what it might be if he starts to head home. The messengers come back with good news and bad news. The good news is, yes, Esau is indeed coming to meet his brother. The bad news is he is bringing with him for that meeting 400 men. Jacob is terrified. Stressed, greatly distressed, scripture says, and rightfully so. In Jacob fashion, though, he starts scheming and plotting out what he's going to do. He takes three strategies, diversification, appeasement, and prayer. The first thing he does is he starts to diversify and splitting up the family into groups and the livestock. And he figures, well, if Esau takes out the first ones he gets to, then the other ones can get away and Jacob can as well. 
The second strategy of appeasement, he puts together in groups some of the livestock, gifts of camels and sheep and donkey and goats and cows, and he's going to send all those up one at a time to Esau, hoping that Esau will be overwhelmed by such a gracious gift and not want to kill him anymore. And the third thing he does, he prays to God for help. And that's where the twist comes in. Jacob goes ahead and sends everyone and everything across the river and spends a very long night by the river that's called Jabbok. It's a restless night. Maybe you know what those are like when dawn seems weeks away. In that night, before he is about to meet his brother, something unexpected happens as the stream goes by. And in the midst of Jacob's restlessness, someone or something comes and wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. This passage is one of the most heavily interpreted passages of Scripture, partly because there are so many questions about it, and there is a great lack of detail within it. Scholars have suggested over the years that the figure with whom Jacob wrestles is anything from a river demon to an angel to Esau to God. Martin Luther even suggested it was Jesus. Some say it was a psychological wrestling and not a physical one. Regardless, the story says Jacob wrestles someone until daybreak. Someone who has the power to change him and does inside and out. Someone who changes his name and changes his body. I'd like to suggest that it's God in some inexplicable way who comes to meet Jacob that night, who meets scrappy Jacob in a way that this scrappy guy will understand in this moment as he is prepared to meet his brother in the morning. God answers Jacob's prayer and offers him this all-in, all-out way to get ready before the old rivals come out onto the field to meet. It's an interesting preparation. Most of the time when we prepare to meet a rival, our objective is to win, to overcome that rival in a way that makes them less and us more in a way that gives us bragging rights and lets us crow a little bit as we go all in and practice and train and get ready and we watch the tapes and we see how our rival tends to act and so we come up with offensive measures and defensive measures and figure out how we can win and practice and train and practice some more and we use trash talk like are y'all ready for this are you ready to taste the grass you are going down we hear a lot of that these days and we don't only hear it on the ball field we hear it in places like social media and politics 
and in the defensive and offensive moves that groups and people make in the culture. If someone's on the opposite side of an issue, we write them off, or worse yet, we demonize them. If your thoughts and ways are different from my thoughts and ways, we're done. Talk to the hand because I'm not listening. We walk away or devise an attack with words and actions. Are y'all ready for this? If that's what you stand for, you are going down. Really? It's part of what we call cancel culture and the crowing. What in the world has happened? I wonder what does scripture have to say about things like that? In the case of this story, God steps into it and has a very different outcome in mind when rivals meet. God's objectives between rivals are often very different from ours. God's objective here in this story is reconciliation, not overpowering, not being done with the relationship. These objective God has is relationship, not rejection, brotherhood, and not the lack of it. Jesus says, after all, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. 1 John 2 tells us if we say we love God and hate our brothers, it blinds us and makes us stumble as if we are in the dark. Relationship with God and with others are often two sides of the same coin. If the relationship wins, that matters. Rather than besting the other or writing them off for good. In order, though, to reach relationship between those rivals, God shows up and in this inexplicable way, invites Jacob to wrestle and get it out however he needs to do it in a scrappy fashion with God, with himself, and somehow with Esau and his feelings and the past and the present and all that is wrapped up in this needed time of tussling. Genuine wrestling like that is messy. As a youth director years ago, I went to a whole lot of high school wrestling matches to support students over the years. And those things are hard work. They are not polite. Wrestling matches are nitty-gritty, full-on struggle with the two on the mat pulling and pushing and grasping. It's like hand-to-hand combat. It's a mess with arms and legs flailing. It's hard to watch, and I can't imagine even being in it. All in, full-on, bringing it. If you throw in the memories and the years and the hurt and add it all up together with the accompanying emotions, I imagine that's what it's like for Jacob through those long, long hours 
of a night that seems like it won't end. All the pushing and pulling in this genuine encounter that God creates meant for Jacob's well-being as an answer to a prayer. God wants scrappy Jacob to bring his full self to the struggle so that he can grow and not leave any part of himself behind. Old Testament scholar Terence Fretheim writes about this passage, to be able to go through it with God before we go through it with others provides resources of strength and blessing for whatever lies ahead. For Jacob and his life, And I would say for us, as when the sun rises, Jacob's ready. He walks away not crowing, but limping. Limping as a way to symbolize that he doesn't fully understand yet what has happened. He's still growing into it. And he comes with a new name given by the divine wrestler, He is no longer Jacob, which means heel grabber or one who supplants. He is now named Israel, one who struggles with God. That name has strength in it because we are stronger out of the wrestling. And Jacob marks that time that night by the river and says, I have seen God face to face in this place, in this time in my life. And Jacob heads toward home. He's walking. In chapter 33 of Genesis, he draws nearer to Esau and the 400 men. And Jacob still begins to take some of those protective measures, separating out the four women who are his partners and wives and all of the children. And Jacob goes up first, not crowing. He's lost his swagger. And what does he do when he gets to Esau? He bows. Something I don't think would have happened without that long night by the Jabbok. After all those years, after the deceit and the lies and the threats and the hateful actions and the words toward each other, Jacob bows in front of Esau. And Esau runs toward him to take him out, to take him down. No. Esau gets down there with his brother, embraces him, and they weep. Reconciliation was the mission. Jacob says seeing Esau is like seeing the face of God, which if you're counting makes twice that day for Jacob. How about that? I wonder what it's like for Jacob to see the face of God in his rival, in an enemy? What a story of reconciliation. The two men are far stronger for it. But imagine that rivals who are able to see the face of God in each other. It's an incredible thing. 
it's easy, right, to see the face of God in all the people we like, the people with whom we agree, those who think the same thing we think, those who root for the right football teams, those who see the world the way we see it, those who believe what we believe. But how hard it would be to see the face of God in someone whom we want to trash talk. Someone with whom we disagree. How often does a Dallas fan see the face of God in a Washington fan when it comes time for a football game? Or how often does someone on the left side of a thing see the face of God and someone on the right and vice versa? Who might we name as rivals? In the TV show The Big Bang Theory, character Sheldon Cooper keeps a list of his mortal enemies that he began when he was nine years old. And by the time he's 30, there are about 60 people on it. How long would your list be? And who in the world would we put on it, I wonder? Maybe not a rival, but someone or some group with whom we disagree or with whom we don't want to be on the same football field or in the same neighborhood, the same house, the same room the same table, the same church, someone we love to hate, really, or want to point out in so many ways how they are wrong, according to us. The kingdom of God is a mighty big tent. And there are a whole lot of differences found inside it. That big tent's a mess of people. And we are blessed to be part of it. Sometimes our own wrestling is not about a person, but about a sin, a hatred, a prejudice, a stubbornness, a skeleton in a closet, Something we need to give to God that we won't let go of easily. It's hard. Sometimes this even happens in marriages. In marriage counseling, as a pastor, I was taught that when a couple comes and they keep finding fault in each other, and that's about all they see, that we get them to just, okay, go ahead, write it down. All the faults you see in the other person, just write them down. And then at the end of that conversation, we take those lists and we don't let them use it as a weapon against each other. What do we do with them? We tear them up. We throw them in the trash. Because we can't change the other person. What we can change is ourselves. Our responses. And how we act toward another. The same could be true in a church. Hence many, many nights of wrestling by rivers with God. In the story of Jacob and Esau, 
God shows us a transition from rivalry to reconciliation. And the two men don't become best buddies. That doesn't happen. They don't go fishing every week together. But they do make peace. And they part with a blessing. And they come together again when they need to, when it matters, like when their father Isaac dies. And they come together to bury him as one. The relationship, even tenuous, matters. And when it comes to rivals or the ones with whom we disagree, God steps in and gives us space to grapple however we need with God, with the issue, with each other, with ourselves. God helps us to think, take our reaction down a notch, tamp down our words. God initiates the possibilities of transformation. But wrestling requires two players on the mat, which means God issues the invitation. And then we need to step in and engage and meet God there when the invitation comes for the tussling. Open to the growth that God has already begun in us and stick with it through the long nights by the river. The World Council of Churches met recently, I just noticed last week. And that represents more than half a billion Christians across the globe. Their theme this year was Christ's love moves the world to reconciliation and unity. I thought that sounds a lot like our sermon series. That's pretty good timing on our part, (laughs) not knowing it was coming. So we pray, Lord, sit with us by the river as long as it takes. Dig up whatever you want to in us. Whatever it is that divides us, come wrestle us and win in the best of ways for your work of love and reconciliation in our lives and in this world, in the messy, nitty, gritty, muck and mire of it all, that we might be able to see your face where we don't want to expect it, in someone on the other side of a thing. Make us willing, Lord, to be changed for your work in this world, for you called us to be ambassadors of your love and reconciliation. So where do we start? (laughs) With awareness, with prayer, with action. We have outside uh, the sanctuary doors today in the lobby a prayer station. We'd invite you to go. People took away prayer concerns that were chucked into the braided ropes that were there last Sunday. We've replenished it. Pray some more. We invite you to take new cards out. Make a commitment to pray for those concerns this week. These are the prayer concerns of our larger community. And for those of you who are joining us online, there's a digital prayer wall we invite you to engage in today. And for all of us, pray for those with whom we agree. And especially pray for those with whom we disagree. We are stronger together in Christ than we are on our own 
like that old children's game, Red Rover, Red Rover. When we're linked together in Christ, grounded in the one and holy God, we are stronger together than we are on our own. So, let us be who God needs us to be for the others on the field and for all that to which God calls us. And by the grace of God, may we see where we least expect to find it, the face of God. Thanks be to God for a vision like that and a heart that goes with it. Amen and amen.